we're in the book of Haggai. As we are coming to the end of this book, it's only two chapters, so it's a short one, but definitely a powerful book and served a powerful purpose in the day in which it was written and still continues to do so today. Faithful in the work is the theme, and we will look at the theme verse again, verse, two of cha- verse 4 of chapter 2. It says, Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord, and be strong, O Joshua, son, uh, high priest, uh, son of Josedek, the high priest, and be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord, and work, for I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. We can work, and we can be faithful in the work because He is with us. There are times where we get overwhelmed. There are times where we're discouraged. We want to quit. We wonder if we have made a wrong turn somewhere. Uh, But God says to us, as He did to Zerubbabel, I'm with you. Be strong and work. We're going to pick it up in the end of the book, chapter 2, verse 20 as we'll look at the fourth sermon that Haggai preached. He dated each of his sermons. Chapter 1 was the first sermon. Chapter 2 begins the second. Verse 10 begins the third. And verse 20 begins the fourth of his sermons. And again, the word of the Lord came unto Haggai in the four and twentieth day of the month, saying... Now stop there for a moment. This is the second sermon that came on the four and twentieth day of the month. If you look at verse 10, it says... Also in the four and twentieth day of the ninth month. So uh, this is his second sermon that he gave on this day. They had a a double blessing, I guess, on this particular day. God had twice as much to give them. And there's a reason for that. God wanted his people to be encouraged to continue to hope in him for the future. Verse 21, Speak unto Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake the heavens and the earth and I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms and I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the heathen and I will overthrow the chariots and those that ride in them and the horses and their riders shall come down every one by the sword of his brother in that day saith the Lord of hosts will I take thee O Zerubbabel my servant the son of Shealtiel, saith the Lord, and I will make thee as a signet, for I have chosen thee, saith the Lord of hosts. And with those words, the written ministry of Haggai comes to a close. His final words to Zerubbabel, the leader of this people, is simply this. After he has been challenging them, don't quit, keep working, Get back to the work. Be faithful. The last thing he says is, I have chosen thee, saith the Lord of hosts. His first sermon was, consider your ways. The second sermon, consider your covenant. The third, consider your future. And the fourth, consider God's choice. Consider God's choice. If you know that God has chosen you to do a specific work, that has to be encouraging. Uh, even on your darkest day, to know beyond a shadow of a, fa- of, a, of a doubt that it's a fact that God has chosen you. It is that we doubt that provision that we give into discouragement. 
There's been a lot of talk today, uh, last, last few days anyway, last few weeks, about the stock market. I've been following it. It's been kind of fun to tune in and see all the craziness as now everyone bands together on social media and chases one stock together and then chases another stock together and uh, all this stuff I don't even understand quite. But it's, it's fascinating and it's the wild, wild west and it's very volatile and it's up and it's down and it's all over the place. And Warren Buffett, who is one of the brightest minds in financing and stocks and all that, he said, you know, there is, he admitted that there's no way of knowing from one day to the next what's going to happen. Uh, nobody knows the future, and hence the volatility. As things are good and peaceful and politics are good, the stock market climbs, people buy, and it's all good. When there's chaos, they sell, and uh, most people just look around and they order their lives and their stocks according to that, and hence the volatility of the stock market, right? As there's panic and there's all this sort of stuff that is uh, uh, re making things be very volatile. But if someone knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that a certain stock was going to be chosen to succeed, would that not, would that not impact some decisions that they might make? I'm not talking about insider trading or anything illegal or anything like that, you know, but if you had some word from God, I think that you'd be like, yeah, I think I might put a couple of bucks in there because this thing is going. Thing is, nobody knows that, right? And hence the volatility. But what about our life? If you and I could see the future and we knew that God had chosen us for certain things, would that not encourage us to make certain decisions, to take certain steps? Many of us, we, we live our lives the way a lot of people approach the stock market. Chaos, panic, sell, oh, stability, oh, buy, it's great. And, and our lives are just up and down and volatile and crazy. And we don't recognize that because of God's word, we can see more of the future than we think we can, than it would seem. And when it comes to our lives, we don't need to live our lives the way this lost world lives their life in the darkness and the volatility and the chaos up and down and things out of control. We have the word of God. And Haggai is coming to Zerubbabel saying, let me encourage you. I know I already preached to you once today, verses 10 through 19, but I just got to come back and give you four more quick verses, really three verses. I got to give you, I just got to hit this a little bit harder. You need to hang in there. You need to recognize <clears throat> that you've been chosen. You're the stock, if you will, that's been chosen. You're going to go. God's going somewhere with you. It may not look good at all. You look around you and it, it looks everything. All of the signs, all the experts are saying it's over. You're a has-been. But Haggai says you've got to hang in there. God has chosen you. Your future is secure. There is indeed hope. And my prayer this morning is that we would also glean some of that hope for the future and not live our lives with volatility by just looking at chaos and disorder and just uh, be reacting with certain impulses, but listen to the voice of God and hear his word and take hope the synopsis here of sermon four Haggai's fourth sermon is very simple God will overthrow the nations of the world and establish his king and his people according to his choosing fact this is going to happen you can go to the bank you better buy in early because this thing's getting ready to go this is going somewhere 
It doesn't look like that, though. It doesn't look like that at all. We have foundations that we built. We have an altar in the open air getting rained on and snow and hail and all the elements. That's not how it's supposed to be, folks. The altar is supposed to be inside a temple, but uh, they didn't get that far. They have an open-air altar. And the foundations. You know, honestly, the footprint of these foundations compared to the footprint of the original temple, this is just a pathetic comparison. We're discouraged. We've had 14 years where we've been now... uh, uh, no longer working in this work and we have been resisted and there's been oppression and so forth. And so therefore, what they were seeing and what they were hearing from Haggai were at odds. Haggai is faithful to declare the message. God has chosen you. Take hope. Now let's look here and, and break this down. And what I want to do, as with any prophecy, there's often an application or fulfillment to the people immediately present, as well as an application or fulfillment at a future time. And always, there's a present-day application for us as well. And so I want to break this passage down with those three applications as we work our way through. First of all, take heart, because God still owns heaven and earth. God still owns heaven and earth. That verse there, verse 21, speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake the heavens and the earth. Every aspect of nature, politics, and life in general is at the command of God Almighty. He's in control of the heaven and the earth. The forces that seem to be in control are only in control for a moment, if they're in control at all. Uh, It's more of an illusion, and and it's certainly... Uh, all there simply because God is doing something, but at the command of God, uh, all of these illusions of power are shaken out, overthrown. God still owns heaven and earth. Let's apply, first of all, to Zerubbabel. As he was sitting there hearing this, what would he have applied in his life at that moment? Well, there are a lot of nations opposing him. There were those that would oppose him in the years to come. And God is telling him, all the nations that are opposing you, those right now, those coming, they will all be overthrown. I own heaven and earth. There's no need to fear. There's only the need to carry on. And he must have thought that everyone's against me. You know, at first, you remember how they got there? They got there because the king was moved by the Lord, his, his spirit The spirit of Cyrus was stirred up to make a decree, go build the temple, and they went and they built the temple, but then a new king came up and sent another decree and said, shut it down. That nation is now against him. The nations around him in the immediate land are against him. God says, don't be looking at what you can see. Look at me. I still own heaven and earth, and I can shake it all out with uh, any moment that I, that I please. Zerubbabel was to take from this an encouragement to carry on and to trust the Lord. But there's also an application for the future. It says, in that day. Well, what day? There is certainly, as you look at this, the, these verses, 
all scholars agree that it is not, Haggai was not merely speaking of Zerubbabel's day. It certainly applied to his day, but there was a future fulfillment as well. There's certainly a reference here to the day of the Lord, the second coming of Christ, and an ultimate fulfillment where God would make all things right. God's judgment would be upon all the nations of the earth. And though the nations would rage and vie for power, they will all be shaken. Everyone will be overthrown. We listen to the news, we see what's going on, and people ask me all the time, Pastor, this looks like prophecy, this looks like revelation, this looks like, you know, this, all the pieces are coming together. Absolutely, I, I do not disagree. I certainly see now, more clearly than ever, how some of the things in Revelation are possible. The, the technology for a mark of the beast, done, we've got it. Uh, you know, as far as the, the, the Antichrist being able to be revealed to the whole world. Can you imagine if you lived back in 1300? Just pick a number. And you're thinking, how is he going to be revealed to the whole world? How are you going to do that? <laughs> And how's he going to talk to the whole world? You know, we know now how this is possible. Uh, thanks to the internet and satellite communication and everything else we have, uh, I look at the future and, I, and it seems a lot more present as far as like prophecies and so forth and all of this coming. But this is not something to scare us. This is something that should encourage us. Uh, the day of the Lord uh, is not to strike fear in the heart of the Christian. It's to strike fear into the heart of those who do not know God. And we trust that people will come to him before it is too late. We know that God will make all things right. We know that any power that is being collected by the, whoever is doing whatever conspiracy against God is ultimately not able to overthrow what God is doing. He will shake heaven and earth. And there have been so many kingdoms that have come and gone, so many despots, dictators, rulers, dynasties. They come and they go, and so it will continue. God is on the throne. There is a future aspect to this prophecy. I'm sure Zerubbabel didn't know all of that. We don't know all of that, but we know God uh, is, is, is certainly going to set all things right. But there is also an application for us presently. There is no plan on earth that can overcome what is written in heaven. No conspiracy. The nations have no power over our omnipotent God. And we have people who are against us. There are people who don't want us to meet today. There are people who would love to strip away our freedoms. There are certainly forces at work that are working against the church. But we know what Jesus said. The gates of hell will never prevail against the church. He is building his church and it will go forward. It may have to go forward different ways. It may, uh, there may be some creativity. There certainly will be opposition. There certainly will be persecution. But his church will advance. The prince of the power of the air, bottom line, is no match for the power of our Creator God, the God who, who made the universe. Creator of a universe versus Prince and Power of the Air? Yeah, I'll go with the Creator of the universe. Kid says once, why did they name the Milky Way after a candy bar? I mean, it's a good question. 
I don't think it quite went that way, though. I think it might have been the other way around, right? Well, we know this. God knows all of the stars and calls them by name. That's, that's mind-blowing right there. He owns it all. He created it all. And therefore, he can be trusted. He, at one moment, can shake the heavens and the earth. Here's the point. If God, if the things... I'm sorry, if things get shook up, it's okay because we know the one who's doing the shaking. And sometimes that's how it is in our life. Our lives are upside down. There's turmoil. There's turmoil all around us. And it's like, God, what are you doing? You're shaking up my whole life. But as long as we know who is in control, who is the one doing the shaking, it's going to be okay. And he says to Zerubbabel, take heart. I will shake heaven and earth. And I've chosen you. Do you trust the God of, uh, of the universe, the God who owns heaven and earth with your life, with your circumstances? Will you rest in him? Let's look secondly at, at this. The, the second uh, truth is God is still working even when your focus is elsewhere. God is still working even when your focus is elsewhere. You might not see it. It does not mean that his work is not going on. It may seem in this passage that God's people were humiliated beyond recovery. But you look at this, this passage and you see the focus is on what God is doing. His plan is still on course. We don't need to focus so much on what man is doing, but what God is doing. So look at this. He says in verse 21, I will shake the heavens and the earth. Verse 22, I will overthrow the kingdoms. I will destroy the, the, the strength of the heathen. I will overthrow the chariots, horses and riders by their own hands. What do you see when you look at verse 21 and 22? I think Zerubbabel, I'll tell you what he saw. He saw the, the, the strength of, of the heavens and the earth. I think he saw the kingdoms and their power. He saw the strength of the heathen. He saw chariots. And, and horses and riders, he saw swords being wielded by their strong hands. Chariots were the tanks of the day. If you had chariots and the other guy didn't, you basically had already won. If you had horses and the other guy didn't, you've already won. And he's looking at all of this strength. You know, you can look at these two passages and you can come out of it with two different perspectives. You can look at this and just see all of the strength of the people, or you can look at what God is doing. The I will statements. I will shake. I will overthrow. I will destroy. I will overthrow the chariots. And he says, I'll do it by their own hand. Everyone by the hand of his brother. In other words, I won't even have to intervene. I'll let them destroy themselves. Have we not seen that over and over and over again? Where mankind, we, we, we grow into something great and then we self-destruct and we take one another down. <clears throat> when you look at your life, your verse 21 and 22, what do you see? Do you see what is going on by man or do you choose to see by faith what he is doing or in this case it's not 
I am, it's I will. That's even harder. That's even harder because it's yet future. It might have been easier for Zerubbabel if he had said, hey, don't look over here at what he is doing. Look over here at what I am doing. But that's not what he said. It's not what he is doing. It's what I will do. It takes even more faith and purposeful direction of focus. Let's apply this first to Zerubbabel. If anything, from his perspective, he would have looked at his life and he would have said, if you asked him about some nation being shaken out, he would have said, yeah, that's us. We're the nations that God has shaken out. We were shaken out of our homeland into captivity. Now we've come back. We had a false start. We thought we were doing something and now it's over and we don't know what we're doing anymore. We don't have kings. We don't have palaces. We don't have, we don't have anything. Zerubbabel needed to focus on what God was doing and what God had promised to do, not on what the men were doing currently in his life. I tell you, that takes faith and that's hard. How do you do that? How do you say, I'm not going to just be overwhelmed by what's going on. I'm going to be overwhelmed and encouraged by what God promises. Folks, you have one way to do that. You have to spend time in the Word of God. That's the only way you feed that perspective. That's the only way you will grow your faith. You're not going to get it from social media, probably. You're not going to get it from the news, the mainstream media. You're just not going to get it, oftentimes, from other Christians because other Christians are still struggling. We're all human and we struggle. You're going to have to get in the Word. And for Zerubbabel, he listened to the preacher that was preaching. Hey, listen to preaching. But let the Spirit of God preach as well. Get in the Word and focus on that and you'll, you'll begin to see it's okay. God is at work here. <clears throat> I, I, I look at our, our country right now and I say, wow, I'm glad that things have gone the way they have. I, 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 that might sound weird, okay? <clears throat> Coronavirus, and a 2020, and the volatility, and the craziness, and then the election, and all of the craziness after the election, and hopefully we will be distancing ourselves from some of that craziness, and hopefully things can stabilize some, who knows, but I will tell you this, it has served God's people well. I'm hearing people talk, I'm talking with preachers, and I'm hearing about people who are praying. I'm hearing about people getting desperate. I'm hearing about people who are having their own time of introspection and and revival as they're saying, boy, what's going on? And where am I going? And and we, we, we need God. You know, if 2020 and 2021 <clears throat> had gone the way you and I had wanted, we might be spiritually the worst for it. God is now putting us in a place of desperation and dependence and saying, God, we need you, and we're looking to Him. He is the blessed hope, as opposed to other blessed hopes that were promised but did not come to fruition. There's only one blessed hope. 
Christians have only ever historically looked to one blessed hope, and it's the blessed hope of the Lord Jesus, His glorious appearing. We have never, ever found it anywhere else, and we never will. And this 2020 and 2021 has been a great reminder to Christians in that regard to stay focused on what God is doing and what He will do. He is the blessed hope. For Zerubbabel, he needed to refocus. But let's see, what else? What was the future application? There's always a, 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 an immediate application of any prophecy, and Zerubbabel was seeing this right where he was living. But there's a future a- application. So what's this about? God will shake the heavens and the earth and overthrow kingdoms and, and the strength of the heathen and so forth and so on. Well, here's the application. We know how this ends. We've seen the book. We've read the book of Revelation and all the other uh, prophets and, and we see that Satan is going to give it everything he's got, but he's not going to succeed. God's plan will not be overthrown. In the day of the Lord, everything will be set straight. But maybe not in my day, but God never promised to do that. He never talks about the day of John Barber. In the day of Jonathan Barber. It will all be set straight. I will shake out all the, uh, all the nations and everything will be put right in the day of John Barber. Nope, doesn't say that. It says in the day of the Lord. It's always been about the day of the Lord. It's never been about just one of us or it has to happen in my lifetime. No, it has to happen in His perfect time. And we can rest assured that it is as good as done. It's the day of the Lord. He is coming. We're listening for that trumpet. We're waiting for the rapture. There will be the, the marriage feast of the Lamb. There will be wonderful things. And then uh, there will be the, the, the return. And he will, he will, with one word of his mouth, win that, that battle. And all nations will be shaken out. All nations overthrown. And everything set straight. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Folks, if you don't know the Lord Jesus, now is the time. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the time to bow your knee and declare Him as your Lord and Savior. What's the application for us presently? Well, God is still working when our focus is elsewhere. So what are you focusing on? Are you focusing on what everybody else is doing We've talked a lot about this. The news is not helping us these days. It used to be, now hear this, now hear this. Now it is, now fear this, now fear this. It's, it's one headline after the next meant to scare you spitless. You know, I'm sure Zechariah, not Zechariah, Zerubbabel understood what that was like. Bad news more bad news, more bad news, more bad news. And finally, you're just like, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? Turn off the TV. Uh, can we turn off the world? Turn off the world, close the curtains, make it all go away. Haggai says, now hear this. God's on the throne. He will shake heaven and earth, overthrow every nation, realign your focus. He says, I will, I will, I, I think four times he says, I will. God is working whether you see it or not. He will work whether you believe it or not. He is answering prayer. He is working all things together for good. He is using circumstances of today to further his will and his plan for tomorrow. What will you focus on? In your life, 
you've got the things that, that you're worried about, the things that you're praying about, the things that are burdening you, family things, work, political, whatever. But will you take time to realign your focus and, and by faith say, Lord, I'm going to choose to look at what you are doing in my life and believe you and trust you. God is still working even when your focus is elsewhere. God still owns heaven and earth. And finally, God's choice is always of significance. God's choice is always of significance. If God be for us, who can be against us? God chose Zerubbabel. Who does God choose? Well, not who you and I would choose. He doesn't choose the way we do. He doesn't think the way we think. Let's apply this first for Zerubbabel. In the line of King David, he was the rightful king, but he was not a king. He served a king, king from Babylon. Yeah, this had to be hard for him. Can you imagine if, if your, your dad and your granddad and your great-granddad and your great-great-great-granddad, you're in the line of kings? all the way back to David. But what are you doing now? You're the governor of a bunch of former captives who are pretty much homeless vagabonds trying to pull it together in the backside of a desert with a measly foundation set for the temple you were supposed to have built. You've been shut down and you're not going anywhere fast. Your has been. It's over. He had to have felt like the loser of his line. And yet God had chosen him. Chosen him to be the ruler of this people for this time. God doesn't choose them the way we choose them. And it's a good thing too. The Bible uses this phrase, and let's look at it there in verse 23. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, will I take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, <clears throat> The son of Shealtiel, saith the Lord, and will make thee as a signet, for I have chosen thee, saith the Lord of hosts. He had chosen him, but he uses this, this, this phrase, I will make thee as a signet. Well, what's a signet ring? We don't, we don't use those today. I got a wedding ring. Uh, but they had signet rings that were used as a signature. And so... <clears throat> Uh, if I had a, a document here I needed to sign, I would read it over, put the wax on there, and then take off the ring and squish that wax with my certain symbol. And everybody knows that is official now. But not only did it work as a signature, it was also an extension of authority. So Joel, come up here. So Joel's my servant. I'm the king. I say, Joel, I need you to go... Go build me a gym. That's what we're going to do. Go build me a gym. All right, drop the plans. And uh, will they listen to you? You're a servant. Are they going to listen to you? No. Okay, we'll show them this. And when they give you the paperwork, you just squish that on there, and then you'll have my seal. Okay, go get her done. So he goes out there. He talks to the builders. And uh, then they get all things, right? Everything's done. You squish that seal. Go ahead, do it. All right, now you come on up. Come back to me. He reports back. Is it done? Yeah. It's done. Thank you, sir. You can have a seat. So he is just a servant. You might say he's nobody. Well, he's not nobody. He's somebody. He's my boy. 
all right? But uh, you might say, who is this guy walking around telling people, spend money, do this, build that, you move, organize, this is the time frame, make sure it gets done. What gives him the authority to do that? This. This was delegated authority. So who is Zerubbabel? Who is he really? He was, the Bible says, as God's signet. That's huge. This special ring was a sign of authority. Whoever had the king's signet ring had the authority of the king behind him. So here's the deal. Though Zerubbabel was not recognized as a king on earth, he had the authority of the king of kings behind him. Which would you rather have? I want to be a king. No, no, you can have your, your throne and your kings and all of that. I want the authority of the king of kings. You know, not every king did well. In fact, you look at Zerubbabel's line that goes all the way back to David, and the, the kingdom split after Solomon. All of the kings of Israel were all crummy guys. I don't know why I came up with crummy, but uh, they weren't good. Not a one of them. The kings of Judah, uh, a couple of them were pretty good. A few were okay, and then several were just terrible. You know, just because you're a king doesn't mean you're going to succeed. doesn't mean anything good's going to happen. Several guys crashed and burned. Zerubbabel, what do you want? He says, I'll tell you what I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you the authority from the king of kings to do what God has called you to do. You don't need to be called king. It doesn't matter that you currently still serve a king. If you have the signet, you have everything you need to do to get the job done. Now put this in perspective. How did they get there in the first place? Cyrus made a decree guarantee you somewhere on that decree he used one of these he made that seal and they said the jews are going home to build a temple wow and we talked all about that last year well how did the whole thing come to a grinding halt another king artaxerxes he used one of these and he said take this paper and tell them to cease and desist and so the whole thing shut down and how is God starting it all back up again? Same thing. I've got a paper that supersedes that paper. You are, my, you are as my signet, Zerubbabel. I'm giving you the authority. You can go forward. I think Zerubbabel, like any human, wavered. Have you ever wavered? You ever know? This is what God wants me to do. I'm as sure of this as I know I'm saved but I can't do it. <laughs> you know, wait, 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 wait. No, you know, you know you're supposed to do this. Okay, so you go a step forward. Uh, I still can't do it. That's what he was doing. That's why it took four messages and we haven't got to Zechariah yet. Zechariah's book isn't two chapters, by the way. These guys had a hard time. They, they were, were wanting to do right, but there, there's, there's the flesh and there's unbelief and, and you go forward two steps and backwards three and, and you feel like you're not making any progress and he says, look, I know what you're up against. I know you're thinking... I've seen that seal on that letter that said cease and desist. And God says, it's okay. You are as my signet. You have the authority. Go forward. Oh, that must have encouraged his heart. For Zerubbabel, there was an immediate application. 
you are as my signet, but there's also a future application. When we look at verse 23, we don't just think of what God meant for that moment in time. He was also looking ahead. Again, it says, In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, will I take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, saith the Lord, and will make thee as a signet, for I have chosen thee, saith the Lord. And what, what, what's going to happen in that day, that future day? Well, the Bible says in Matthew 1, 13, and Zerubbabel begat Abiud, and Abiud begat Eliakim, and there's a lot of other names in there, and we skip down to verse 16. And it says, And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who was called Christ. So what do we know about Zerubbabel? We know where he came from. He's the line of David. And we know what came from him, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And so when God looked at Zerubbabel and he said, I have chosen you, God has a different perspective. He was looking right through Zerubbabel all the way to Christ. And when he says, in that day, you, Zerubbabel, will, uh, uh, will serve me. You're, you've been chosen in that day, saith the Lord. He was saying, ultimately, from now all the way until the day when Jesus comes back, your ministry is not done. Your ministry is far from over. You know, God can look at you and he doesn't just see you, he sees your kids, your grandkids, and right on through. Be faithful. Be faithful and have foresight. Uh, the Messiah would come. I don't know that Zerubbabel understood all of this. I hope he understood some. But the, the bottom line is, his ministry would be far from over. It would continue through the generations until the Messiah would come. His impact would not just be in this generation. His impact would be on the future generations. We also need to pray for the future generations. We need to be saying, Lord, what about my kids? What about my grandkids? And not just be shooting to squeak through life okay, but to make sure that we live our lives in a way that our kids and our kids' as kids and the generations that come as God tarries will serve the Lord and trust Him. Zerubbabel made a multi-generational impact. This has been king. This king with no throne. This humiliated individual. God chose. God was not done. And when he saw Zerubbabel, he saw all the way through to Christ. Praise God. For his choice. There is an immediate application for Zerubbabel in his day. There was an application for the future. Jesus would come. But there's an application for us today that we can take heart in. He chooses for His glory. I want you to see 1 Corinthians 1.26. Familiar passage, but helps us. 1 Corinthians 1.26 says, for, he, for ye see your calling, brethren, <clears throat> Now that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence 
You know, we would choose certain people for certain things because of their talents, because of their skill set, because of their gifts, because of who their dad is, or whatever. We have all these wrong ways of choosing people. I'm not saying we should do it that way. I'm just saying we're fallen creatures and we, and we don't choose well. This guy's got money, let's, let's, let's use him. That guy doesn't have money, let's skip him, and all that sort of stuff. How does God choose? He chooses in a way that when the job is done, only he can get the glory. He'll choose the guy with no money and use him, and everyone says, well, how did that happen? That doesn't make any sense. Well, praise the Lord. That's what God was going for. That little, well, praise the Lord. This guy here, how did he do that? He has no talents, he has no family, he has no background, no experience. Where did he come from? And God did what through this person? Wow, well, praise the Lord. That's, what he, that's why he got chosen. For that, praise the Lord. That no flesh should glory in his presence. When others will pass over the foolish things of the world, the weak things of the world, and the things that are despised, and the things that are not, God seeks those ones out. And says, these are the ones that I can use. These are the ones that will not rob me from the glory that he deserves. How can he use this? How can he take nothing or or weak individuals and use them for his glory? The next verse helps us with it. That no flesh should glory in his presence. Verse 30, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. In other words, these weak, nobody individuals can do something for me because of Christ. Of Him are ye in Christ Jesus, and He is wisdom. He is the righteousness. He is the sanctification. He is the redemption. He is everything that you need to be who God's called you to be. And therefore, it works. And at the end of it, no one can get credit for it but Jesus. That's why it says it again. Verse 29 and verse 31 are pretty much redundant on purpose. That according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Praise God, he doesn't choose the way we choose. He chooses according to his glory for his purpose. And he has chosen weak individuals like you and me sitting here this morning. And we may have said like Zerubbabel, I don't have it. <laughs> Our day is over. I'm a has-been. Zerubbabel says, I'm no longer a king. I should be a king, but I'm not. I'm a humiliated descendant of a king, serving a king. And all of these things we come up with our own mind, all these reasons we build as to why we can't serve the Lord and why God must be done with us, and we might as well just move on with our lives and find something to do and just settle for something. Christians don't settle who have been chosen by Jesus Christ because no choice of God is insignificant. So you don't settle. There's nothing to settle for. There is something to move forward and claim by faith. Uh, Mark saying this morning uh, about God's choice according to His mercy and His grace. That's, that's so true. That's who we are. Chosen according to His mercy and grace for His glory. And so Christians who say, God can't use me, are basically saying, I'm just going to go ahead and rob God of the glory that He deserves through my life. Like Zerubbabel, we also have the signet of God. 
I said, wait a minute, God never said that. He said it to Zerubbabel. He said it to Zerubbabel, that he'll be as the signet. True, he said it to Zerubbabel. But what has he said to us that's very similar? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, he said, ye are ambassadors. An ambassador, that's like a signet. That's basically the same idea. I'm going to give you authority, go sign treaties, it was signed back in the day. It would have been stamped with the seal. Uh, ambassadors are basically what Zerubbabel was, the signet. What else did he say that we are? He said, you're the light of the world in Matthew 5, 14. What else did he say in John 14, 12? He said that you will do greater works than me because I go to the Father. He said in Matthew 18 that whatever we bind on earth will be bound in heaven, that we will actually have through prayer the ability to participate with God in his work on this earth. This is amazing stuff. He's invited us right into the throne room. Now, I believe, like Zerubbabel, we too have authority as the signet of God to do what he's called us to do for his glory. And so God's choice is not to be despised. God's choice is always significant. He chose in the Bible, unlikely characters. Jacob, Esau's younger brother. That wasn't supposed to happen. Ephraim, Manasseh's younger brother. Joseph, the youngest of his brethren. And what did he do? He delivered the world. David, the youngest of his brethren. He became the king. Uh, do you see a theme here? God doesn't choose the way we choose. He chose a Hebrew slave girl to help set Naaman on a path to healing from leprosy. He chose judges who came from obscurity to deliver the nation of Israel multiple times. He chose Daniel and his three friends while still captives to deliver nations. He chose prophets who were poor and held in disrepute and often seen as crazy madmen. He chose John the Baptist from the desert, camel hair notwithstanding, Locust breath. I don't know what wild locusts taste like, but I don't know. He chose them nonetheless. Twelve disciples he chose who were unlearned and ignorant men. That's their legacy according to Acts chapter 4. He chose Paul, the murderer. He chose a little boy to feed 5,000. He chose Zerubbabel, a has-been forgotten king of a seemingly forgotten people. He chose him and gave him his signet. And when he saw him, he saw the Messiah. Some have said that because of this prophecy that Zerubbabel himself will be, uh, uh, you have a, a, a very prominent place in the millennium and so forth. I don't see it that way. I, I see the line. He's looking at Zerubbabel and he's seeing Jesus. This is all going to Jesus. Why? Because of God's choice. Haggai had a very short ministry to these people, but it was powerful. He wanted to encourage their faith and he wanted to rebuke their selfishness. That was verse one, chapter 1. Consider your ways. Look at what you're doing. You are self-centered. And you have, you have allowed time to get away and there is so much to do. He, he, he begs and pleads four messages. Consider your ways. Consider the future. Consider God's covenant. And finally, consider God's choice. And he signs off with those powerful words, the last words of Haggai. 
I have chosen thee, saith the Lord of hosts. And the rest is history. Zerubbabel went forward. They built that temple. They did what God had called them to do. We need to consider God's choice of our life. You can't make excuses. Well, you can, but they won't work. There are no has-beens here. There is nobody that's past uh, the grace of God. If you were past the grace of God, you wouldn't be here. There is just an opportunity now presented to you to, by faith, get a hold of your Lord for your future and say, Lord, you, I know you've, you've called me to salvation. You've called me to sanctification. And you, you have chosen me to do a work for your glory, and I am here. Take me and use me. Consider God's choice. God can shake the heaven and earth, and still he chose you to be a part of his plan. Think of that. The master of the universe. And he chose you to be a part of his plan. God will overthrow nations and kingdoms, and still he has chosen you to be faithful when you cannot see what he's up to. And many times we don't see, but he is working. God has given you authority as his signet, so there is nothing insignificant about you. There is nothing insignificant about what he has called you to do. Consider God's choice in your life. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I hope that there's no one here who has given into the discouragement and the lie of Satan that would cause you to think that God is done. God is not done. He has much to do. He just wants people who will say, Lord, I'll move forward by your grace and be faithful in the work you've given me to do for your glory. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you, Lord, for choosing us and for sticking with that choice. Thank you, God, that those that you call, you enable and you empower. I pray that anyone here who is discouraged in something in their life, that they would recognize that you're working. You're doing things that they can't see, maybe things that we're not focusing on. Realign our focus, Lord. May we be encouraged to be faithful where you've led us, we pray.